Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and we're continuing our discussion with Alexander Buzgalan. Thanks for joining us again. Yes, I'm very glad. So one more time, Alexander Buzgalan is a professor of political economy and the director of the Center for Modern Marxist Studies at the Moscow State University. So we kind of talked in the broadest strokes about why socialism, socialism in the Soviet Union became so bureaucratic. Uh, then, of course, you have the, the massive war and the killing of 30 million Russians and destruction of much of the country. Uh, you are born in 1954. Uh, this is, as we said, about a year after the death of Stalin. Uh, you sort of, I guess, come to more, you know, political consciousness as, as such, you know, what, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Uh, talk about how, how you, you view the world at that time and how your view of the world changes. Mm, it's very difficult when you're 60 to talk about uh, your vision of the world when you were 12, 13, 14 years old. I try to be more or less exact. Uh, first of all, uh, world was uh, divided and uh, we definitely knew that there is a progressive and uh, regressive part of the world and we Soviet Union with all negative features of our bureaucrats are part of the progressive movement of mankind and the uh, uh, communist fighters for liberation were our friends in this progressive movement. When in, P in Chile uh, Allende came to power, it was a little later, I was already a student. It was happiness when uh, Pinochet uh, uh, organized this coup with the assistance of the United States and uh, Allende and his friends were killed and the fascism came to Chile. It was tragedy for us, personal tragedy for us. It's not for everybody in Russia. Again, majority were normal, how to say, citizens, conformists, uh, who wanted to have very simple things. And uh, for them, uh, dream about supermarket was more important than dream about communism. But for big minority, it was their case. And I think absolute majority of people were proud that they are living in progressive country, which is trying to protect Vietnamese, to help to the left movement all over the world. And National so liberation movements in National Africa. National liberation and, movement in mm -hmm. Africa and Latin America and so on. To help to the poor people in the United States also. We had, by the way, not bad movies uh, in our TV, documentary movies about United States where it was shown both prosperity, Times Square, Wall Street, and so on, and the poor regions of United States. And some of Russians even didn't believe that it's truth. And it was the idea that it was artificially created pictures of poverty. It, it cannot be in the United States so uh, terrible life. When I first time came to the US in 1991 and went to these regions, I understood that this is not propaganda. This is the reality of uh, the most rich country in the world. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, the feelings of the life. So you grew up television and uh, in the culture, this uh, sympathy for national liberation movements around the world. As you say, the, the election of uh, Allende in Chile. This is all about liberation and freedom. Yes. Um, but domestically, not so much liberation and freedom. There's, it's true. There's a contradiction there. Um, uh, and, and as you go through your teenage years, uh, 
when do you start to become conscious that this ain't what it's supposed to be? Uh, let's come to the 1990. Uh, 1969 or 1970, I don't remember exactly. Uh, when I was a schoolboy, it was uh, ninth year of education in school. We had 10 years of education. And uh, friends from Moscow State University, not friends, uh, students from Moscow State University Economic Department came to our school and said, we have a special school, special seminars, lectures for schoolboys and schoolgirls who wants to be students of Moscow State University, of course, for free. You can come in the evening, and if you want to participate, you're welcome. So I asked my mother, and she said, it's very important, and you must do this. First of all, I had dreamed to be a journalist. By the way, now I'm a journalist on the radio, not only professor, but this is uh, maybe a joke of the life. Uh, so I came, and first lecture, based on Das Kapital of Karl Marx, showed that Marxism explains what does it mean uh, to have a uh, market. It means uh, that uh, market fetishism, commodity fetishism will dominate. And I understood why people are looking for good commodities, things, but not dreaming about communism. I understood what does it mean uh, exploitation and why it is not uh, just bad uh, will of uh, bourgeoisie, but objective law of the system. And this system is grew, growing from market, from differentiation of uh, producers. So uh, I received picture which uh, science theory, which explains the world, explains the reality. Uh, when I became student of Moscow State University, by the way, without any special preparations, uh, just after ordinary school, I was not bad student uh, uh, in the school, but it was not something special. No money, of course. Uh, and in university, uh, these contradictions between bureaucratic, formalistic organization of social life, from one hand, and the content of Marxist theory and some romantic communist dreams from another side, uh, this contradiction be became very um, bright. And let me just say again, because we discussed yeah. this a bit in the previous segment, but dreams of communism not the Western version of yeah, what they think. Yeah, but the Marxist version, yeah. Which means from each according to their work to each according to their need. It's, yeah, this is communism a, for us was society with, I will repeat it, it's very important. Society where you like your work because it is creative labor. A labor of teacher, of doctor, of uh, painter, of engineer, but you like your work. And the product belongs to everybody. Uh, the problem is not simply that product belongs to everybody. The problem is that uh, you have not competitors, but comrades uh, with whom you are creating new city, new idea, new, not no movie. Yeah, you are working together as colleagues, as comrades, as uh, co-producers of the future cultural values. So the, con the contradiction between this vision and the reality you just said became very bright. Yeah, very bright and very evident. Uh, one interesting example. We had the obligatory course, History of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Majority of the students hated this course. And the first semester we had teacher, she was terribly bureaucratic and dogmatic. And uh, uh, it was absolutely impossible. It was necessary to learn by heart uh, resolutions of the Congresses, something like that. Very stupid. But then uh, for another two semesters came another uh, lady. I remember her family name, Kuzmich, very strange uh, family name. And she presented this history of the Communist Party as a 
most interesting detective story of the history of the mankind. How 20, 30 young persons, uh, Lenin, when he started activity, was 25 years old, yeah? How they changed the world. And we were living in the world where 30% of mankind were moving in socialist direction in 1970s, yeah? So could it be uh, less than 100 years and the world was changed? Why? Because it was good theory. It shows the direction. It's like with airplane. People know that it's impossible to fly. You cannot fly, you are man, you are not bird. What, what can be done? Nothing. Capitalism is forever, market is forever, inequality is forever, nobody can be changed. But then guy is coming and says that there is a special theory which creates the um, potential to fly. Of course, first uh, airplanes were absolutely terrible and uh, it was a lot of catastrophes. But now we are flying, I hope, safely <laughs> to US and back. Yeah, the same with the uh, building of socialism. And the theory is that it's possible to fly, to, to move to the free society with free development of personality's main goal. It was very important. But now the general conception is that theory was wrong. Uh, so now I'm sure that it is right. <laughs> and uh, we, I mentioned in the second chapter, I think, of our talk, by the way, thank you very much. I didn't expect that it can be such interesting dialogue for citizens, for people who will. Maybe it will be interesting for you who are looking at, uh, listening to us. So uh, I said that uh, history is moving not directly. It is a nonlinear transformation from realm of necessity towards realm of freedom, from feudal capitalization mode of production towards communism as uh, space of free, positive freedom. Uh, and this is like a river which is going with zigzags. And I said that Mississippi, it's from the north to the south, yeah, sometimes it's going back to the north. The same with Volga, <laughs> by the way, in Russia, yeah. Now we are in the period of the history when uh, historical time is going back. We, we are in the process of regress. So you lived through the ending phase of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, and you've come out of this process maybe more Marxist than when you went into this process and yeah, you were young. And, uh, but that's not true for most of the people in Russia now. What about your life led you to this? Oh, first of all, I became uh, more or less theoretically well prepared Marxist because uh, I had practice of communist life. My parents, uh, their friends were working for the country very hard of course, money was important. Of course, they had dream to buy a new TV set, but it was not the, the key problem, not main problem. Yeah. Uh, I had very good relations in pioneer organization. I had the great teachers for whom also this romantic life was a, the, the goal of the life. They were teaching and it was not very well paid job, but they were happy to spend all time with kids, even without big obligations. It was not uh, 90 or 100 percent life of Soviet Union. It was maybe 30 percent, maybe 20 percent. But I was lucky to be in this process. And when I received theoretical proof that this is not uh, something extraordinary, this is what must be, uh, I became, uh, let's say, critical communist, if I can say so. Because even uh, during my students' years, uh, I wrote uh, with my friends a manuscript with strong critique of Soviet system. 
And uh, our PhD dissertation was very accurate, but uh, behind was critique of uh, Soviet system of plan planning as bureaucratic system with privileges of bureaucracy, with inequality, with alienation of people from the real power, real property. And uh, I had talks about this with my colleagues. Uh, when I was uh, defended my PhD dissertation with problems, but uh, defended it was devoted to the contradictions of planification. Uh, topic was provocative. Uh, but after that, I started to teach in Moscow State University. I was lucky all my life I spent in uh, MSU. Uh, I organized seminar about devoted to the contradictions of real socialism, but it was contradictions of developed socialism. And we had very interesting open debates. Of course, in very specific language, very abstract theoretical language, but about real contradictions of our life. And uh, it was very important for me. When Gorbachev Perestroika came, uh, we were ready for that. I, uh, how old were you then? Uh, it was how much? I was 30 years old, 31, 32, something like that. Yeah, 85. And by this point, you're already playing a fairly senior role in the party? No, I was not member of the party. You're not a member at this I point. I was not member of the party. I was teaching in the economic department of MSU, Moscow State University, but I was not member of the party. It was. Why didn't you join the party? Uh, it was too bureaucratic at that period, I can say. And uh, when uh, we received the opportunity to talk more or less free, we started to write articles, uh, book devoted to these contradictions, uh, bureaucratization, uh, organize uh, different seminars, clubs, uh, meetings, and uh, informal social life, or better to say informal civil society, appeared in that period, in 1987, 1988. And in that period, I became a member of the Communist Party when it became more free and with a position inside CP. Um, in the United States, uh, the Vietnam War helped shape and politicize millions of people. It shaped the whole character of a whole generation and how they looked at the world. Um, did the Afghan War play that role in Russia? Not at all. It was not a significant uh, factor. Uh, only after perestroika period, or during perestroika period, the last two years of uh, Soviet Union, 1989-1990, uh, we received more information and more, how to say, results of the uh, understanding of this problem. But still, in uh, consciousness of post-Soviet people, Afghan war is not associated with Vietnam war in the United States. Mainly because um, in Vietnam uh, it was visible opposition, uh, which now created not bad country, is creating not bad country. In Afghanistan it's difficult to say, and still uh, there are a lot of people from Afghanistan who say that uh, when Soviet Union left us, we received a lot of tragedies and refugialization, and when we look now on uh, countries in Central Asia. Uh, former republics of Soviet Union. We see refeudalization of life. You know, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who helped engineer when he was national security advisor for Carter, and they kind of bring this whole plan to arm the jihadists in the countryside and wage a war against the Soviet Union. Um, they see that as 
helping bring bring down the Soviet system. This, I think, see that as a great victory, even even though it led. Brez, I mean, I interviewed Brzezinski, and he, he he'll acknowledge it gave rise to Bin Laden and Al Qaeda and even the 9/11 attacks. Uh, but he still thinks it was a great victory to be able to use the Afghan war to destroy the Soviet Union. Uh, did it play that kind of role? I don't think that the uh, Afghan war was a really important factor for destruction of the Soviet Union. It was not. Uh, main contradictions were inside. But of course, uh, permanent pressure from outside uh, was a very important factor, but not the most important factor. Ah. I can say, I don't know, 70, 80 percent, uh, internal contradictions, 20, 30 percent, influence from outside. And the uh, Afghan war was maybe a few percent in this influence. Of course, this is very funny to give percent for such factors, but to make it simple. But the internal bureaucratization and, and such to the economy. Bureaucratization was... and the consumerization. I want to stress, uh, I think main enemy of communism in my and Marx understanding of free society with free development of personality, uh, main enemy is not even capital or private property. Main enemy is uh, conformist life of people who are slaves of market, of money, of capital. To be a marionette puppet in the hands of market, not in the hands of big boss or president, or dictator even, but uh, puppets of the market. And uh, if it will be chance... Here we call to, that freedom. Yeah, freedom, yeah. But uh, if will be chance, I will give more exact explanation. But uh, in Soviet Union, even in Stalin's spirit of dictatorship, it was impossible to force people to talk only about communism all weekend. But market can create, push can force everybody to go to mega mall and spend all weekend buying or just looking for some commodities. Market is more totalitarian, more oppressive than any political system uh, with dictatorship. 90% uh, of people in China, in modern Russia, in the United States, in India are slaves of the market fetishism. And this is even more, more powerful and more dictator, more, more oppressive force than uh, any totalitarian ideology. Okay, we'll continue our discussion. Please join us for the next segment of Reality Asserts Itself with Alexander Buzgalin. <laughs>